you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Well, would you open in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 13, um, and that's on page 1009 in your pew Bibles, if you're using the, the pew Bible. So I have a, I have a question uh, for you guys to kind of start, uh, start things off, put you on the spot. If you um, won the lottery tomorrow, what is the first thing that you would do? We've been doing a lot of shouting out today, so I'm sure we'll be comfortable, right? Pay off our debts. Pay off our debts. Amen. <laughs> Going to get an amen on that, yeah. What else? What's the first thing you do? Would you, uh, would you quit your job or not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> amen. What else? What would you do? Would you pay off, maybe pay off your house, buy a new house? What's something else? Anybody have something crazy they would do if they won the lottery first thing? Uh. Let's see. I don't know what it is right now. How about $800 million? Buy myself an island. That is a great answer. John, buy the NFL out. You might need more than that for that, but who knows? Yeah. All right. Those are some good things. I was, I was thinking about this myself, what I would do if I won the lottery. Um, and I was thinking about like when I, was a, when I was a kid, right, this is the stuff that I would buy, right? Uh, the nice car, that's a Tesla. Teslas, I think, are so cool. Um, I'd buy these like arcade games. I would have filled my house with arcade games. The big house, you know, the private jet, a boat, uh, you know, big yacht, something cool like that. But it's changed now. <laughs> And it's, it's all what, what Adrian mentioned. Mine actually could all just be debt, 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 debt. Uh, I, have a, I have a good friend that, um, that uh, has, a, has a really good job and he's making good money. And he always tells me, he says, ah, you know, I would love to buy you this, this car. What would you do, Todd, if I bought you like a Tesla or this big truck? And I, and I always have to tell him, I say, buddy, I would sell it and use the money to pay back some of my student loans. <laughs> But it's funny how uh, when you get older, those things, those things change, you know. So on my mind, it would be like retirement. <laughs> it would be uh, medical bills. It would be college funds and college repayment. <laughs> It'd be getting a, a nice uh, little house. And, and as I think about that question, my, my dad actually has a, has a spreadsheet of all the things that he would do. He knows if he won the lottery tomorrow... He knows exactly how much money he would give my brother and I. Uh, he knows exactly what he would spend on each, each thing. And he, and he loves to sit down and look at that lottery thing. And whenever I think about that, it, it kind of has that same thing. What would it take uh, to really change your life? Um, how much money would it take to take those fears that you have uh, about money or worries that you have about the future away, you know, what, what would it take? And I think we all have that thing that, you know, if we won the lottery, we could finally be done worrying about X, right? Those, those loans, uh, that job that's tough to go to, just the everyday life of, of getting by. Uh, and, 
and we, we talk about the lottery because we love to imagine our lives without like that thing hanging over us. Uh, imagine our lives with finally enough. And it takes, it takes $800 million, uh, especially when you, you get a little older, it takes $800 million to convince you that you might actually then have enough, right? It takes a lot of money to feel that way. But, uh, you know, just imagine what it would feel like if you had that experience, that little bit extra uh, to feel taken care of, to feel secure, to feel maybe financially stable, or, or maybe to, to buy that house you really wish you could have, or that boat, or uh, just pay your debts. Well, our, our scripture today, uh, Luke, is all about that feeling. It's all about that feeling of, of winning the lottery. And it all is, it starts off, it's kicked off, um, by somebody who comes to Jesus with, with a question. And, and I love this uh, in Luke because the question this guy asks has nothing to do with whatever Jesus was talking about before. And you can just imagine Jesus is teaching, and as soon as he like, takes a breath, like this guy's hand like, shoots up. And if you've ever been in a setting like that, um, and, you know, and he starts off and he says, what I have uh, is, is on a slightly different subject, right? I, I have a question. It's got nothing to do with anything else. And, and his hand shoots up and Jesus calls on him or he just speaks up. He says, um, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I, I love this question because um, he doesn't include any details, um, right? He says, divide the inheritance. He assumes that Jesus maybe even knows what he's talking about. He doesn't say... You know, our parents died and we're fighting over this, blah, blah, blah. He just says, teacher, tell my brother to share. And if you've ever been a brother, you know uh, about asking, uh, mom, <laughs> tell my brother to share. Uh, that's all he wants. He doesn't want Jesus to think through this question. He just wants Jesus to stick up for him and solve this problem. And in, in classic um, Jesus fashion, <laughs> in the Gospels especially, um, he doesn't just give this guy the answer that he's looking for or the answer that he wants. He, he tells him a few stories that get at the heart of the question that this guy is asking, that get at the heart of the conflict that this guy is having with, with his brother. So, you know, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to be fair. And Jesus says, the ground of a certain man... A certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He, he just launches into this story. <laughs> he says, I, you know, I'm not going to make this choice for you. I'm not your judge. Let me tell you a, a story about um, money. And so he does. He actually tells uh, three little stories, but he starts with, with a rich man, a rich farmer. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Uh, and this is uh, so much, evidently, that the rich man thinks that he's got enough grain to last him the rest of his life, right? To last him many years. Um, he says, um, he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. The ground spit up so much grain this year that I can't fit it in my silos. What am I going to do? The rich man, he wins the lottery, <laughs> He gets enough grain to take away any worry that he might have about his future to secure him uh, for a really long time. And, and according to Jesus, he says, okay, this is, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. 
And there I'll, I'll store my grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And, and if you've ever imagined winning the lottery, that's exactly what has happened to this guy, right? His worry every year about the season, are things going to grow? Are things going to be okay? Am I going to have enough to pay my workers? Am I going to have enough to make it another year? It's all cleared away. And he says, yes, like this is the best thing ever. I can live off this grain the rest of my life. He finds enough. He can pay his, his loans off. He can pay off the house and buy the car he's always wanted. He can fill the college fund. He can give his maximum retirement contribution every year. He can quit his job. I, I get excited just thinking about it. Uh, this really is. It's the, it's the 30 AD version of retire by 35. Like he's, he's got it, you know. Feet up, um, worries solved. Um, but of course, in this story, uh, Jesus pops uh, his bubble. He says, now imagine you won the lottery and you set up a really good financial plan. You weren't going to be one of those people that winds up poorer than you were when you started and you set up the monthly payment so you can quit your job and you can just coast the rest of your life. And as soon as he gets it done, as soon as he builds the, uh, the barns, as soon as he sets up his, his 401k to make it the rest of his life, um, Jesus says, imagine that he died tomorrow. <laughs> imagine how uh, frustrating that would be. He says, um, but God said to him, you fool, that this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Uh, so again, back to, back to our guy with his question up. He says, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance uh, with me. Uh, and he's, so this is one story. Imagine a rich man that had everything and was set and secure and finally had that worry gone, but, but he, he died tomorrow. He says, this is how life goes, uh, Jesus says, when you um, scrape and store up and fight uh, to try and take care of yourself. Uh, this is how your life can go when you fight with your brother over how much of the inheritance you're going to get. Um, and he continues, you know, he'll say, um, isn't there more to life than uh, these worries, than uh, food and, and shelter and clothes? In fact, uh, Jesus will say, uh, here's a better way. Uh, so here's his first example. Here's the guy. He says, uh, now let's, let's think about a couple of other things in God's creation. We know how human beings uh, provide for themselves and worry about providing for themselves. Uh, let's hear about a few other things. Uh, verse 24, Jesus uh, tells another story. He says, uh, ponder this, uh, ponder the ravens, they don't sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Uh, who of you, uh, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life, and since you can't do this very little thing, why would you worry about the rest? He says, he says, the ravens uh, don't, don't store up in barns, uh, they don't seem to be too worried about getting enough to eat. But somehow they, they make it, right? Um, and okay, well, let's, how about another story? Jesus says, well, uh, ponder, ponder this for me for a minute. Uh, you know, skipping down to verse 27, he says, think about the wildflowers. You know, uh, go out behind your house and, and go in the field and take a look at the wildflowers. Um, they don't labor or spin. They don't uh, work hard and make uh, clothing. They don't make their fabric. They don't make their appearance the way it is. He says, yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all of his splendor, Solomon, this um, 
extremely rich, <laughs> rich guy, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. He says, think about the world that we live in, that out behind your house, um, in, in a hollow of a log or in a wood, in a little valley, you can find flowers that are more beautiful than the richest person you can imagine. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass, um, which is here today and tomorrow is burned, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Um, so Jesus says, he says, ponder this. Think about what wildflowers and the existence of wildflowers says about the world. Uh, think about what it says about creation, that there's a forest that no human beings will ever go into, and in the center of that forest, there's a little patch of wildflowers that have absolutely no... Uh, no function, no use to us, uh, that'll never be seen by a human being, that tomorrow uh, the sun might get a little too hot and they'll, and they'll wilt away. Imagine that we live in a world where there's that beauty hidden away in a corner, and it's more beautiful than the most beautiful thing that we can produce with all the money in the world. He says, imagine those flowers sitting in a valley, enjoyed by no one, and tomorrow a fire sweeps them away. But somehow, God provides enough for those flowers to exist. Jesus is saying, think about what that says about the world. And so then he finishes it off. You're right, you've got your, your guy who has everything and, and dies tomorrow. You've got your, your ravens that somehow uh, take care of themselves and, and you've got your flowers. He says, think about those things and do not be afraid. This is verse 32. <clears throat> oh, we'll skip back a little bit. Um, 29, he says, and do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. He says, don't, uh, don't worry about that stuff for the pagan world. And he just means people that don't know who God is. Uh, they run after those things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. He continues, uh, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart uh, will be also. Um, and when I read that verse, and I, just being honest here, when I read that part of scripture, and I think about uh, the stuff on my, my vision board uh, a slide ago, uh, when I think about uh, my college loans and college funds and retirement and the idea that um, I don't know how I'll ever get to that point, when I think about all those worries and all those concerns and all those fears, and then I read this, it doesn't make me instantly feel better. <laughs> I, I don't know about you. I, I read this and Jesus says, yeah, don't worry. Like the raven doesn't worry. The flowers don't worry. It's like, okay, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> but, but the ravens don't have mortgages to pay. The flowers of the fields don't have to heat their house in the winter. I think it's easy to hear this and struggle with it. Um, I think it's easy to hear this and struggle with it, and I personally struggle with it, uh, because I think most of us, um, because of experiences we've had in our lives, and um, you know, right or wrong, I think most of us grow up to think of life as something that's defined by scarcity. Uh, I think most of us think that life is like a zero-sum game, right? So, so last Sunday... <laughs> The Packers and the Broncos unfortunately could not both win. <laughs> and somebody had to. 
And if somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. I think most of us think of life this way, that if I have enough, it probably means somebody else can't have enough. Uh, If I get enough in my life, if I feel secured, I better hold on to those things tightly because somebody else is going to come and try and take it from me. Because the world is about scarcity. And if I don't fight and fight and fight, I'm I'm not going to be okay. And and we think, I think this is played out in just about every part of our society here. Um, You know, our, our economic system is based on this idea of supply and demand, scarcity, and that we have to regulate those things together. We, we use, uh, we think about scarcity and how we educate our kids, our, our TV shows, our movies are full of this idea that there's not enough. And if you want to have enough for you and the people that you care about, you better fight hard to get it or you're not going to make it. Our our politics, uh, all of our politics is marked by a belief in scarcity, both on the right and on the left. We, we have this belief that if we don't figure this out, if I don't fight to make sure I'm taken care of or to make sure somebody else is taken care of, then it's not going to be okay. We, we define our lives by scarcity. And when you do that, um, and I think we all experience this, when you uh, live in a world based on scarcity, enough is never enough right? You can win the lottery and all of a sudden $800 million doesn't seem like enough money. You can be scrolling through Facebook and find uh, that a good friend of yours got a new job. And instead of being happy for them, you're mad, right? Because there's this idea in your head that, that somehow they're getting the good thing that I should be getting, uh, you know, when our, when our brother is praised by mom and dad, we feel threatened by that. As if because they're praising them, it means they don't love us anymore. It's, it's scarcity. Uh, we see somebody, um, new folks moving into town, and we ask, are they taking my opportunities? Uh, you know, you hear your friend just bought a new house, and somehow it just hurts you that they have this thing that, that you don't. I think it's because deep down we have this belief that there is just not enough for everyone. And if we want to make it, you got you to gotta fight. And I think most of us wouldn't say this out loud. Um, most of us might not consciously agree to this, but I think there's this big human part of us that thinks the core truth that sits at the foundation of creation is scarcity. And that's why Jesus um, and his words here bother us so much. Because uh, how dare you, Jesus, tell me not to worry about tomorrow? Because guess what? I've got to fight to make sure my tomorrow works out okay. I think Jesus and his words bother us so much because he and all of Scripture, uh, and, it, and we avoid this a lot, but it, it rubs us the wrong way. Uh, he and all of Scripture over and over again say no. Uh, they say creation is not marked by scarcity. Uh, they say the opposite. Actually, Jesus believes, and, and the whole Testament of believes, that creation, the world, though it's broken and fallen and not perfect, uh, that it actually is abundant that it's positively packed, full of life and potential and good, that there's more than enough. And and this is um, uh, not only that there's more than enough to go around, um, Jesus believes, and the Bible teaches that there's so much abundance, uh, you can see it in how even the things that are pointless 
uh, find enough. They find life. Jesus says, the world is so full of life that those ugly birds eat every day. Uh, the world is so, so full of life. There's so much beauty and life in the world that there is space in it, that there's energy for pointless flowers that you're going to use uh, to kindle your fire tomorrow. Jesus believes, and the Bible teaches, that the truth at the very bottom of the universe is abundance, not scarcity. I can't remember what's on my next slide, but I think it, it's that. Yeah. <laughs> He believes, and the Bible teaches, that the truth at the very bottom is abundance instead of scarcity. And if you read scripture, it's reflected on every page. And we might not get it right all the time. And it doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. But it does mean that God made the world and packed it full of life and joy. And, and what Christ does on earth, before he goes to the crosses, he does two things. He lives like that's true. And he invites people to start seeing the world that way and, and living like it. And he offers us a question. And he offers uh, this guy that just wants his brother to be fair to him with the inheritance. He offers his disciples and all who are listening uh, the chance to decide in that moment um, if the world is defined by abundance or, or scarcity. He asks us, he asks them to decide if we think the world is God's good, amazing, super abundant gift, even if it's harmed and restricted by evil, or if it's a battlefield where only like the strongest and the sneakiest and the most cunning survive. Is the world full or empty? Is it abundant or scarce? Because how you see the world will make all the difference in your life. Because when you have a scarcity mindset, we're just like the rich farmer. Even the most abundant harvest isn't something to be celebrated and shared and given out. It's, it's spoils to be hoarded. A great crop that you had nothing to do with is spoils to be hoarded to ensure your tomorrow. Even the most generous gifts and blessings that God gives us that others give us are never enough Somebody could give us $800 million and we'll be wondering when the next $800 million is coming. I could pay off every uh, loan that I have. Uh, you know, you could buy that thing that you want. You could buy and pay for the perfect house. Uh, God could take care of all of your worries and all the fears that you have right now about money. He could snap his fingers and give you enough money to solve any problem you think you might have. But if you have a scarcity mindset, a week later, a day later, you'll find new pressing worries and concerns. You'll forget that a day ago you paid off your student loans. And I've had this experience. <laughs> because when you have a scarcity mindset, more is the answer to every question. And no matter how big your pile is or how big your barns are, it's never enough. With a scarcity mindset, we become bottomless pits of consumption. We turn in on ourselves. We're black holes drawing everything in. We, we become like toddlers at somebody else's birthday party. Have you ever seen a toddler at somebody else's birthday party? Every step of this process is a disappointment for them. <laughs> The birthday boy gets to blow out the candles, <laughs> and the toddler is standing behind trying to blow one out themselves. 
the birthday boy gets to open the presents and, and the toddler is in tears because they're not getting anything today. Heartbroken that they don't get to have that first piece of cake. Because with a scarcity mindset, the gifts we've been given are never enough. The financial security we have is never enough. Our health is never enough. Our free time is never enough. Our friends are never enough. And our relationships, they're never enough. But when Jesus came to earth, he said it doesn't have to be this way. He preached about an abundant world and an abundant God that is so busy pouring out gifts and blessings on people uh, that it sounds almost too good to be true. Jesus' teachings on this are some of the most challenging to us than most of Scripture. We'd rather leave them behind and continue going how we've been. Uh, but, and, and if we believe him, if we believe that he's right about the world, it doesn't mean that our problems will vanish. It doesn't mean that our loans will be paid off and we'll win the lottery. It, it doesn't mean, you know, and some preachers say this, <laughs> it doesn't mean that if we give a little more, then God's going to double it and we're going to find more money in our bank account. Probably not. Uh, in the end, we'll probably end up like Christ. Uh, who lived this way all the way to the cross, who gave all the way to the cross, who trusted God all the way to the cross. And after giving everything, the world and its scarcity mindset crucified him. And as they were patting themselves on the back for another uh, problem solved, another victory won, Jesus rose again from the dead proving once and for all that God's abundance is bigger than even the scarcity of life. It's bigger than death. Jesus defeated the ultimate scarcity and promises us that we'll have security with him that money can't buy. Uh, At Bethel for the next four weeks, we're going to be exploring the the problems of a scarcity mindset and and what what it means to find enough even if we don't have much together. So I, I don't know what's scarce in your life right now. Yeah, I don't know if it's money or time or health or relationships or, or even safety. But no matter what feels scarce, may we be transformed in how we see this world. Because when we see it how it is, packed full of God's love and life and joy, it changes everything. So may you see the world as an abundant, overflowing gift of God. One that counts on God's grace and abundance, not in just this life, but in the life to come. May you find yourselves grateful for even the most meager gifts, secure with the least protection. May you embrace God's abundance and give generously out of the abundance God has given you. May you become like Christ, trusting so much in God's provision in this life and the next that your worries shrink and vanish. May you trust so much in God's abundance that other people can't believe the way you care for other people. May you become rushing rivers of grace and love and joy and hope and abundance everywhere you go so that your family and your neighbors, and your coworkers, and your friends, and even your strangers, and people you've never met, and your enemies are constantly blessed by simply being near you. That's what it means to embrace the abundance that God offers us through the gift of his son. Would you pray with me?
Lord God, the story of your Bible is a story of you continually giving and giving and giving your life, your love, your care, your grace to us, the people of this creation, and to your creation as a whole. The world is so packed full of your gift of life that we can't even comprehend it. And on top of that, even though we turn and turn and turn away from you, even though we reject you and the way that you made this world, even though we fight over that abundance with each other, you sent your son to die on the cross so that we might be transformed. You sent your son so that he, uh, to die on the cross so that, and be raised so that we might be raised. Help us, Lord, to turn to you, to accept the gift that you've offered, and to believe that the world really is as you say it is. Help us to learn to trust in your abundance. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.